Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. I didn't even want you here, Lauren. That's hurtful. We were supposed to have a brand new guest, a brand new thought. So she claims. New perspectives, but here you are again. Here I am because Denise can't work technology. She claims, but I know she just wanted me back. I wanted to do, you know, recaps with different people every week, but technologies and me and it's just not going to happen this time. She just, you can't beat me, man. I'm hysterical. You're like... A pest. You just don't go away. That's, that's true. <laughs> I'm like a dust ball that just keeps like that. Your vacuum won't suck up, you know, and it just appears forever. And eventually, you have to walk over and pick it up yourself. But you're like, nah. No, I can live here for a little bit. I'll just try it again later. <laughs> yeah, that's Ugh. me. Hi. So we are here doing episode 30. This I'm gonna call part one of my Everett's birthday podcast because I'm doing two special interviews. Just kind of my little ode. Ode to the Pong. Ode to Everett. Have you explained Pong? Um, I do in the next episode, but obviously that doesn't help. No, it doesn't. So I call, yeah, I call, we call Everett Pongo. Everyone calls Everett Pongo, Congo, Pong. Pong along. Yeah, any kind of (laughs) variation of Pongo. Explanation to come. Literally, we have been calling him that since he was born. Probably in the hospital we were calling him that, and that's because when he was born, he had that really fine, dark newborn hair all over his ears, all over his shoulders. And when you have like a teeny, tiny little baby that's just covered in hair, he kind of looked like the star of Abram's Jungle Buddies book, a little orangutan named Pongo. And so, Pongo stuck. Well, this poor little guy is not going to know his name. No, he won't. He literally won't. I'm scared he won't have any more hair than he had that day at birth. Like, like, that's the most hair he's ever going to have. Well, you've always judged his age based on his hair. And since that has never changed, you feel like there's really no progress being made. Guys, Pongo is stuck at six months old. That little guy has not grown. In a half a year. He's just little. He's the same size. He's just so little. Like, he's just small. And his little personality is small. His cry is small. Everything about him is just so little. Which is weird because I feel like I'm not a little person and neither is Turner. So I don't feel like... No, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. I think maybe somebody swapped the wrong baby. If he didn't look just like Turner, you got the wrong baby. Okay. But, like, Abram is big. Abram's a leader. Abram, everybody wants to follow him. Everybody wants to know what's up. He is demanding your attention. He is large and in charge. Well, what's funny is that he's been recently talking about leaders. You know, <laughs> like, whenever we're walking anywhere, he's like, I'm the leader. So I, they must be doing some sort of a line leader system uh, at daycare, and he's really latched onto it. So he would love right now to hear you call him a leader. He is. You can just tell. You know you can tell those kids. I was not that kid. I for sure oh, just no, wanted to. Oh, not either. Let me just follow in line and see what's up. Like, you're going to go first. I, I don't want to go first. I desperately, I didn't even want to be 
noticed in the line. I wanted to disappear into the line and and have people forget I was in the line, but I couldn't because I was always so much taller than everyone, and it really was upsetting to me. No, I was your average little white girl. I blended right in. Okay. <laughs> See, I, I wanted to be a little blonde Jennifer who no one, like, was looking at because she was tall. But you were tall, Denise. I still feel that way. Yeah, it's so funny. No one's going to believe us that we say we didn't want to be leaders or we didn't want to be noticed when clearly we're loud. We are very active on social media. (laughs) Like, we definitely... And we chose a career path that literally screams... I need attention. Thirst. (laughs) Yeah, like, I need the attention. (laughs) I need all the attention. Yeah, it's a weird turn of events. So here we are, um, episode 30, and um, like the past couple of episodes, you are going to hear a Bachelor recap at the end of this episode. But the first thing that you're going to hear is an episode with my doctor. Her name is Dr. Ashley Kaiser, which is weird when a doctor comes in. It's like, can I call you Ashley? I better just stick with formal doctor. It's weird. I wasn't sure what to do. Oh, yeah. I probably would have hit her with like a, hey, Ash. (laughs) Like, hey, buddy. (laughs) Little arm bump. I know. If I was really rude, I would have been like, okay, step on that scale before you come into the podcast (laughs) studio. Now uh, put your feet in these stirrups. Right. Now just relax. Yeah. (laughs) Just relax. Yeah. Answer my questions. So, no, but really we had a great conversation because she is the one who delivered Everett. And she is the one who helped me when I was trying to figure out whether or not I had postpartum depression. So she talks a lot about women's health. She talks a lot about fertility. She talks about like some fertility scams that I feel like are out there just taking advantage of women who aren't sure about how they get going on the fertility process. What do they need to do? So she answers some of those questions for me. And then we kind of dive into um, just more my personal experience. And she's great. You guys are really going to love her. Why did I get emotional when you said helped me deliver Everett? And I instantly was just like, oh, Everett is my personal favorite. I know, you really, really love him. I love Abe. Like, he's awesome. But, like, that little guy, Lil Pong, <laughs> Lil that Pong kid along. really just does it for me. All right, so let's get started. This is On a Mother Level, and here's Dr. Ashley Kaiser. So I was looking up online yesterday uh-huh. some, like, birthday cake ideas. Uh-huh. Everett's first birthday, and something about seeing... Big one, it like makes your throat close up a little yep. bit. Mm-hmm. It's a, such a weird feeling, you know, because you like want to reach that one year gateway. That's like a year that you survive, but then again, you're like, I'm just not ready for we're, us to be done with this part right? of things either. So, Dr. Ashley Kaiser is with me today in the podcast studio. Ashley, you're my doctor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My own personal doctor. And I really wanted to have you here today because you're such a huge part of my journey with Everett. And um, in so many ways, you're part of the reason why this podcast exists. So, I'm excited to have your perspective both as a doctor and a mother yourself, but also... um, I don't know, just a a big part of my story. So I appreciate you for being here and for being willing to talk about some stuff. Yes, of course. (laughs) You're on my turf now, you Uh know. (laughs) And I will say that my turf is a little more comfortable than your turf because your turf, I have to take my pants off. Uh (laughs) And the first question you ask me is, what is my weight? 
And that's very upsetting to me. <laughs> so I'm not going to ask you any of those questions. And I'm fully clothed. <laughs> but, but I realize, um, you know, even after the past year, like, I don't really know very much about you. I know that you are a mom, but mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit about your family? Yeah. So my husband, Mark, and I actually both grew up in the Quad Cities. So we both went to Pleasant Valley. Um, I went off to college. He went off to college. We kind of rekindled things while I was in medical school. So you guys were technical, like, high school sweethearts? Oh, no, we were just friends in high school. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yep. And then I came back to the Quad Cities to do a run for Brett Greenwood, who we also went to high school with, his kind of first inaugural uh, run. And Mark was working there. And I happened to be going down to Kansas City the next weekend to interview for residency there. And he's like, oh, we should grab dinner. Okay, fine. We hadn't seen each other in a few years. And then it was just kind of history from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at this point, did you know that you wanted to be an OB? So going into med school, I said OBGYN was the only specialty I would never do. I don't know why. I have no idea. I just thought I would never want to do that. I thought general surgery for sure was going to be my passion. And then going through medical school, I fell in love with labor and delivery and then really fell in love with taking care of women throughout their whole life. Yeah. And so that's what ended up making me decide to do OBGYN. What was it do you think that really like sparked your interest? I think the people at the OBGYN program in Iowa City was a big thing. Um, they always say when you're going through med school, you're just going to know that, oh yes, these are my people, the people that I okay. am like most kind of like. And I just fell in love with the residents there and the staff there. Dr. Sinus was actually one of my mentors when we were both in Iowa City. Um, So that was fun too. So now you're with the group Uh in Davenport and um, has that been the the group that you've been with the entire time since becoming a doctor or? So with, so you go to med school for four years, then I did four years of OB residency in Iowa City. And then after that, I joined the group and I've been with the group for a year and a half now. Okay, excellent. And yeah, so I guess you were fairly new then Mm -hmm. when um, you started to uh, see me as a patient. Um, So tell me a little bit about like a well, I guess it's really more like a week because every day is something a little bit different. Sometimes you're in the office. Sometimes yep. you're at the hospital. Sometimes you're cutting bellies open. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so how, do, like, how does your schedule typically work? Yeah, so every week is a little bit different, which is why I also wanted to be an OBGYN because we get to do so many different things, whether it's a full day in clinic, um, which I did Monday and then half a day today where you're seeing patients, but we do procedures in clinic as well. Um, so that keeps things interesting instead of doing the same thing and then some days we're in the hospital in the morning doing hysterectomy surgeries at the hospital and then we come back to clinic and then there's one doctor that's on call for 24 hours every day and that's the doctor that does the c-sections on labor and delivery i feel like for the most part a lot of your job is maybe i'm wrong about this a lot of your job is the happy stuff there's a lot of really happy stuff but i feel like the bad stuff is like the really really bad stuff yeah i would say 90 percent of the time everything goes really well but when it doesn't go well it's very hard for the patients especially the patients families that's a big part of also why i love my job in a weird way is that you get to help people through those really tough moments 
and not just all of the happy stuff, too. Yeah. Well, and you're really close to it, too, being a mother yeah. yourself. Can you tell me a little about your kids? Yes. Yeah, so Jackson actually turns two tomorrow, oh, which gosh. could make me about cry, too. But, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think that that was a big game changer for me in how I'm able to counsel patients because it's definitely different when you go through being pregnant yourself, you know, breastfeeding, going through the whole postpartum experience yeah. and then going back to work after having a baby and then having a toddler at home as well. I think it definitely gives you a whole new perspective on life and motherhood and being an OB and all of yeah. the things. Is your schedule hard to juggle having a toddler at home? It's yeah, it has its moments. My husband luckily works from home, which makes it a lot easier in oh, terms yeah. of, you know, if Jackson's sick, him being able to kind of go and get him from daycare and things like that. It's hard in terms of feeling like you're missing things. Residency was definitely harder than private practice OBGYN okay. in terms of hours wise. Um, but Mark does a really good job of bringing him to the hospital when I'm on call and they bring me dinner and we hang out for a little bit. So it's just our normal. So we don't know any different. So that's just yeah. kind of what we're used to. So I became a patient of yours because um, I knew right from the beginning that I was going to have a C-section. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that I walked in to the appointment being afraid of is that you were going to be mad at me for choosing a C-section because I had one with Abram. And mm -hmm. so it was sort of left up to me right. whether or not I wanted to have a second one that was scheduled or whether I wanted to try for a VBAC. And so I, I really felt confident that I did not want to try mm -hmm. for a VBAC. And so I, I appreciated that you guys didn't judge me for that. Yeah. And it's definitely a personal decision. You know, everyone has their own fears and kind of worries about what could potentially yeah. happen. And other people are very strongly, you know, feel that they want to have a VBAC, but unfortunately not even everyone who wants to have a VBAC is able to have yeah. a VBAC. So it's just something that you definitely just need to talk to your doctor about and go through risk benefits and figure out what's best for you and your family. And that's the biggest thing. What was the biggest difference between like operating on someone having a second C-section versus a first one? Mm -hmm. The big thing is just not knowing what kind of scar tissue you could potentially um, be coming into. For some reason, I was very concerned about wh what you thought of my scar tissue. <laughs> and I asked you about it several times. I don't know why I cared. <laughs> I remember I was on the operating room table and I was like, how's it looking? How's, how's it look? How do tissue? I look on the inside? You're like, looking great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you just, and some patients have four or five C-sections, you get in their belly, you would never have any idea that they've ever had one because everyone heals differently. Some yeah. people have one C-section and have a ton of scar tissue. So that's the biggest thing about the unknown. And there's yeah. no imaging or anything that we can do that gives us any idea of what we're kind of getting into. Well, and I had no idea that um, the second C-section requires like, like a like a big scary knot that you didn't have to tie the first time. Uh-huh. So cuz I had a little bit of harder time recovering uh -huh. this time because of that big scary knot. Yep. So we use a different kind of suture to close what's called the fascia, the layer that keeps the insides in and the outsides out. And every time we go through that layer, we worry about it weakening and you potentially being at risk um, for getting a hernia through there. Mm -hmm. So we use a different type of suture when someone's had more than one C-section or in women who are at risk factors for getting a hernia. And this PDS is just a lot thicker and takes longer to dissolve. Okay. 
And okay. so in thin women, they tend to feel that knot more than they would have with the other suture. So weird. Mm-hmm. You know, it is kind of cool, like thinking that you wanted to go into general surgery. You are doing surgery mm-hmm. pretty regularly. Yep. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. But the big difference I found... One, I like working with women and um, taking care of women. And then two, you get to see people from, you know, some people come in when they're 17 years old to start talking about their periods or birth control or things like that. And then we get to see women until they're in their 90s. And you get to see patients and then you get to see their kids. And it's a very cool thing. That's awesome. Okay, so... Um, let's talk about some of the areas of um, of a patient that you deal with. So, mm-hmm. so I feel like, especially among like the age group of people that listens to this podcast, fertility is such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. People being worried about their fertility is a huge thing, and fertility after the age of thirty five is a huge thing. So, I want to begin first and foremost because I, um, gosh, I can't even remember how old I was when I like wanted to start having kids, but it wasn't super easy for me. Not that it was super hard either, you know, and it's one of those things. And people say it all the time that you, you don't realize how hard it is until you're actually trying to have a baby, which is so crazy. Do you, I mean, have you seen in your years of practice, like a difference in people's fertility or like, or a change in the trend of people wanting to have babies later or what's, what's the overall trend? Definitely. I think women are having babies later in life. We see that all the time in our practice. I mean, uh, great chunk of our patients are considered advanced maternal age, which used to be greater than 40, and then they backed it down to 35, which now includes an even greater population. Um, But women are much more career-driven, I think, now than they used to be. So women are wanting to finish college, do postgraduate studies, get their job going, and by the time they finish all of those things they're already close to that advanced maternal age. And so is it really that much more risky or is it that much more difficult to get pregnant then? So as we get older, we know that um, the quality of our eggs goes down and the number of eggs goes down because every single month you ovulate. um, And it does become more difficult to get pregnant, even with the perfect egg, the perfect sperm, the perfect uterus, perfect timing, every healthy patient has a one in five chance every month of getting pregnant. So when you think about that, only 20% chance if everything is timed out perfectly. Um, So it can take up to a year, which is why really infertility testing doesn't even really begin until you've been actively trying for a year. Now, in patients who are over the age of 35, we sometimes back that down a little bit to make sure that we're really investigating, are there reasons that they're not getting pregnant so that we can get them pregnant sooner because Mm -hmm. they're over the age of 35. I just feel like in general, this concept of fertility is such a huge conversation Mm -hmm. at this moment. I mean, I, you go on Facebook and there's ads for basically what seems like drugstore kits that say whether you're not or not you're fertile based on what, just a a quick pee test. Is that even a thing? I would not recommend anyone do this. I think the big thing is, one, coming into your OBGYN office, talking about your periods, talking about your cycles, making sure that we're ovulating every single month so that you're giving yourself the best chance of getting pregnant. I would say the -the over-the-counter ovulation predictor kits that you can buy, um, which do detect your LH surge, which tells you, yep, I'm ovulating. Those are a good idea because that tells you, okay, this is my most fertile time of the month. We should be having timed intercourse around these days to, again, give you the best chance of that one in five 
chance of getting pregnant each month. Those ovulation tests are also extremely sexy. They really <laughs> set the mood, I find. <laughs> set that right on the back of your toilet. Honey, I'm ready. <laughs> the LH is surging yes. at the moment. Um, I mean, so are there supplements or vitamins or something people should be taking if they're trying to get pregnant, or is that all hooey too? Really, the best thing that you can be taking is just a prenatal vitamin. Okay. Um, and then getting an evaluation if you're not getting pregnant, you know, after you have been trying for months, getting into the office so we can talk about, do we need to do an ultrasound to evaluate for reasons that you potentially couldn't be getting pregnant? Do we need to have your partner have his semen analyzed to make sure that that's not the reason that you're unable to get pregnant? But really the over-the-counter supplements, they're not studied well, they're not regulated well, I don't know that they're harmful, but I also don't think that they're necessarily helpful. I see. To mm -hmm. me, it just seems like a little bit of a moneymaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, most everything is. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have two little boys, as you know, mm -hmm. and um, I don't know what the future holds in terms of a third, but I will tell you that my husband is terrified by the idea of this advanced maternal age. <laughs> I mean, it really freaks him out mm -hmm. because he knows that there's all the extra testing and all the extra hoops to jump through, and it really, really terrifies him. Mm -hmm. Talk him off the ledge, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the big thing with women who are over the age of 35, um, increased risk of having chromosomal abnormalities over the age of 35. Now, this really goes up after the age of 40, um, but it goes up slowly with every single year. So really the only thing, if you have no other risk factors, you're not obese, you don't smoke, you don't have high blood pressure, you don't have diabetes, there's no extra screening tests that need to be done in terms of extra ultrasounds, extra monitoring of baby. We do more highly recommend that you get kind of those early chromosome testing, okay. um, whether that's the cell-free DNA testing or the blood work, the integrated screen, which is the other tests that we yeah. do as well. Um, but other than that, we offer you an ultrasound through the University of Iowa at your 20-week ultrasound, and then we don't recommend you go past a week past your due date. But other than that, nothing changes about yeah. the pregnancy. So when I was pregnant, Everett was born, um, so it was the polar vortex week of last year. Do you remember mm -hmm. how cold that day yep. was? And I remember we walked into the hospital and it had snowed that night previously because we had to be there at like five in the morning uh -huh. or something. And um, so it was freezing cold and it was supposed to be negative 30. And so we were trapped in the hospital at like the best time ever yeah. because it was negative 30 <laughs> outside. And just every nurse who came in our room was like, I hope my car starts. Right. I might have to go start my car. It was just like a very, very memorable time. Um, I guess where I was going with that is that's sort of, um, that's sort of where everything fell apart a little bit. <laughs> so Everett was born and then my life was a disaster. <laughs> um, basically the, the huge issue right off the bat was that he was having issues breastfeeding, which mm -hmm. wasn't normally that huge of a deal because he was a C-section baby and, you know, they just need a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, but I read later that breastfeeding issues are a, a major risk factor for going on to have postpartum. Absolutely. I had no idea. So I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as moms yeah. to be able to breastfeed and be able to do it easily because everything you see makes it seem like it's this natural thing that, oh, everyone should be able to do. But I warn women, it's one of the hardest things it to is do. so hard. So hard and so time consuming. And 
isolating, I feel like, because not just for you, but your partner also feels like they can't be that helpful at the beginning because you're the one that's the only food provider um, for this baby as well. And I think it is really difficult. I mean, I know personally, I thought it was going to be much easier than it was. And it's just hard to do. And it is not always comfortable and not glamorous. And you're exhausted and you're frustrated. And I think it's particularly um, difficult when you successfully breastfed one. And then Mm -hmm. the second comes along and you kind of it's like you don't remember how you held. You don't remember how right. this all worked at all. Right. And for me, it was only two years prior. It's right. not like it was 50. Right. <laughs> and your last memory of breastfeeding was when you and your first baby were professionals at yeah. breastfeeding, right? And you forget all those early struggles with latching and position and waiting for your milk to come in and yeah. all of those things. I, um, I, for me and for myself, I was a big um, proponent of breastfeeding and I did it as long as I could. And I ended up exclusively pumping with Everett and mm-hmm. I made it about six months, which was my goal. And, yeah. and I'm proud of that. Um, do you guys though, I mean, honestly, like I think moms who come in who say like, nope, breastfeeding's not for me. And they, they specifically want to do um, formula do, I mean, a lot are afraid of being judged, mm-hmm. you know? How do you guys handle that and make sure that they feel comfortable? I think the biggest thing is asking the patient what their goal is. You know, some people come in and say, yeah, I want to try breastfeeding. If it doesn't really work out, I'm not going to keep going forward. And they just have to know that it's a safe space to talk about these things. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things out there that, you know, breast is best, breast is best. Yes, there are advantages to being breastfed, but I also think that fed is best. And a mom's, you know, mental health is also very important. And at some point when it becomes more difficult for you to breastfeed and it's no longer something that you are getting enjoyment from, I think then it's time to reevaluate, okay, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, I think part of the issue for me is that, um, like I, I think that, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here is I, I very much badly wanted to breastfeed. And so everyone in my corner was pushing me to keep doing that. Right. So I think they thought they were supporting my goals, which they were. Mm-hmm. But then on, then from my flip side, I was going, oh, my gosh, all these people want me right. to do this. And so it was like sort of a vicious cycle where, yes, I wanted to do it and they weren't pressuring me. But at the same time, when it wasn't going well, I'm like, look at all these people who will be disappointed. Right. Yep. And that's, I mean, I think that's what we do as mothers too, right? (laughs) And women. Yes. (laughs) Very, yeah. Very, very difficult. And then I think it's hard too, you know, once women get to that one year of breastfeeding, then all of a sudden everyone's like, well, when are you going to be done breastfeeding? Why are you still breastfeeding? You know, it's... Mm -hmm. There's kind of two Why sides are you here to that in this as restaurant well. restaurant breastfeeding? Right. <laughs> Put that, you know, towel over that baby's head. <laughs> so when you leave the hospital, they give you the little questionnaire mm-hmm. of, you know, how, how are you feeling? And it's the, the postpartum screening. Right? And so when I took it at that time, I felt the way everybody feels when they're leaving the hospital. Like, I want to go home, but also I don't know what I'm doing with this baby. And um, I have a toddler, so hopefully he doesn't come home just yet. Uh-huh. Um, and, and at the same time, I, I felt fine, and I, and I answered the questions honestly, but 
I also knew the right answer to those Absolutely. questions. You know what I mean? So how do you feel about the postpartum screening process? Do you feel like that's like a pretty solid way or should that be modified in some way? Right. And ACOG, which is our big overriding organization um, for obstetrics and gynecology, has really started this new kind of task force about the fourth trimester in pregnancy and how can we better support moms and how can we catch these moms that are having issues yeah. um, that maybe they don't even know that they're having because they just are assuming that, oh, this is how everyone feels. I just need to wait longer. Oh, I must be doing something wrong. That's why I feel this way. And there have been studies that have shown that even just patients filling out the screen in and of itself can help with postpartum depression because okay. then they can kind of recognize, oh, yeah. Okay. But then obviously getting people to mental health providers, potentially starting medication is the big thing in terms of how we can really help these women. And is the screening thing perfect? No. I mean, I look at the screening tool and I would probably score a seven on any given day on that <laughs> sure. too, right? I mean, right. are you tired? Do you worry about things that you shouldn't worry about? Do you sometimes like cry for no reason? I mean, these are things that the vast majority of postpartum moms sure. are feeling. I honestly get more worried about the women who score like a zero because I'm like, hmm. I don't know that you really <laughs> scored a zero because yeah. no one is that happy right after delivery. And so that almost raises a red flag as well in terms oh, of... Oh, that makes sense. Look at you reading mm -hmm. between the lines. <laughs> <laughs> so I go home and, and everything, um, you know, is, is going along just fine. I'm, re I'm recovering from this C-section. And then Everett starts having some weight issues and we end up in the hospital with Everett. And um, so that was really difficult because it was only, you know, five days after I had given birth. And now I'm back in the hospital right. and I'm not the patient anymore. And I've just had a C-section and I'm sleeping on that mm -hmm. flat cot thing yep. that my poor husband had to sleep on mm -hmm. for three days. Um, and, and I remember feeling so ridiculous because I could not stop bawling over the idea of my baby in the hospital. Right. And like down the hall are like actual sick children. And my baby just needed like a few sips of this IV. You know what I mean? Like he was going to be okay. Yeah. All was going to be fine. But I was just an absolute wreck. Right. And so I think combined with the breastfeeding and then with these weight issues that were related to the breastfeeding, right. obviously, um, it just like... It never turned around from there. Mm -hmm. And then, so this, um, and I've told this story a little bit on the podcast before, but it had gotten to the one month time. And I was going to post like the stupid, like, this is my baby at one month. And mm -hmm. this is how he, you know, his size compared to this teddy bear or whatever mm -hmm. that everybody posts. And I was going to... I was going to write some crap. I was going to lie, and I was going to talk about how happy we were with my sweet baby and how things were going great. Right. And I knew that I was going to lie. And I thought, I can't do that. I cannot. Now, I didn't have to post anything at all. I mean, right. that would have been an option, too. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, I really wanted to post something, and I was very, very aware that I might lie. Mm -hmm. And instead... I decided to write what I really thought after a month. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to pull it up on my Facebook because, to be honest with you, I have not read this in oh. a long time. And mm -hmm. I, and I want to read it out loud. And I think that's maybe why I'm so nervous because I have not read this in a while. And um, when I wrote it, I wrote it 
And then I turned off my phone and I went, I took a nap. Uh-huh. I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I was immediately horrified because so many people had seen it. Not like I thought nobody would see right. it, but so many people had seen it. And now they knew, now they knew this thing. Right. They knew this secret that I was not having a great time. Mm-hmm. And, um, gosh, where's this stupid post? I'm sorry. I'm trying to like vamp while looking for this <laughs> post. Um, so my immediate thing was embarrassment. And I immediately was like, I've, I've got to delete this thing. Like I got to delete this. I got to get rid of it. And then I thought, no. You can't delete it. You can't get rid of it. I immediately called and apologized to my husband. And he was like, why in the world are you apologizing? Uh Like, you have nothing to apologize for. Um, Okay, so I found it, so I'm going to read it. Okay. This is hard for me to write because it means admitting I'm not a superwoman. The last month has been difficult, and I wasn't expecting it to be this hard. I know newborns aren't easy, but I felt so confident. I had worked up until delivery day, I exercised consistently, and I had a really healthy pregnancy. So I didn't expect that once E was born, I would fall deep into a hole that I'm still not completely out of. God. I believe it was triggered by some feeding issues that resulted in me being unable to breastfeed. I'm exclusively pumping instead but the failure and the loss of that connection to my baby has really hurt me. Maybe on the surface it doesn't sound like a big deal, but Everett was losing too much weight, and I wasn't sleeping, and I was desperate to hold it together for my household. God. You're doing so good. But it all broke me. I feel lost, inadequate, and lonely. I cry every day. I'm sharing this now because reaching out is the only thing that's helped. There's a handful of fellow moms out there who have lifted me up, let me cry, and shared their own feelings of fear and failure. I've learned that the transition from one to two is hard for everyone and that I'm not alone in this, no matter how isolated I feel some days. I never want anyone to think that I'm not grateful for the gift of being a mom. Having two precious boys makes me feel like the luckiest woman on the planet. I know it will get easier with time, but if you're a mom out there struggling, know that you're not alone. Reach out to someone you love and trust. That it truly is, it truly does take a village. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't do this without mine. Little E has brought me so much joy. Seeing him with Abram and my husband is the highlight of my day. I still have some time off work, and I know I'll emerge from this stronger than ever. But right now, I want to be honest, and I hope that being real about my experience helps another mom out there. Feel free to reach out, and thank you for listening. That was so brave. I remember writing all that, but like, God, I really felt every ounce of that. Mm -hmm. I really felt every ounce of that at the time. And um, my big fear in sharing that was that people would think um, that I was ungrateful. You know what I mean? Which is so dumb Uh because, of course, I'm grateful. But I just thought that there would maybe be someone out there who had just had a miscarriage or someone who desperately wanted a baby and couldn't have one. And there I am whining about having this new fresh baby. So that was my number one big fear. And then my number two big fear was that my husband was just going to be so embarrassed (laughs) because he's such a private guy. And he assured me that he wasn't embarrassed. But then my embarrassment really set in because suddenly your office called. (laughs) 
okay? They called maybe, I mean, I couldn't have napped for maybe more than 40 minutes, but all of a sudden your office called, and it was like, hey, Denise, um, give us a call. And then I was like, oh, no. If the doctor's calling me immediately, and I don't, like, it must have just been a receptionist. I don't know who saw it. Mm -hmm. I don't know who saw it and was like, somebody get to this girl. But, like... First of all, I mean, what amazing service. I mean, I was not ready to receive that call at that moment, but someone saw and they called. Uh So, like, props to your office for doing that because that was really cool. I did not return that call for (laughs) several weeks. I want to be clear. Yeah. I did not return that call, um, and, and I was really horrified by it, but, like, wow. That you guys did that. Uh So I think that's really, really cool. I mean, is that like a, um, that's got to be like a protocol in some ways because patients are so out there on social media? Yeah. I mean, if we see anything like that, if anyone from the office sees anything like that, they bring it to the attention of a provider and then we try and get into contact with the patient because something that is very real and happens very frequently in terms of how women can feel after delivery. And we want women to get in and feel supported and have us be able to give them support and know that they're not alone in all of this as well. So through, uh, through um, posting that and all the comments that followed, so many of them were like, are you sure you don't have postpartum? Do you need to talk to your doctor? And I thought, no, I don't have postpartum. I'm just having a really hard time. Uh-huh. Like I did, for some reason, I was really hesitant to say that I had a thing. And I think for one, I felt like it was like attention seeking to look for a diagnosis. Like, a like oh, like mm-hmm. I have a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone, I have this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought people who really had postpartum had to have been way worse than I right. was. You know, are those two common things? Yeah, I think one Women oftentimes are like, oh, this is just how I'm supposed to feel. Oh, I'm, yep, I'm tired, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, I feel isolated, but oh, this must just be what everyone goes through and it's just going to take more time to get through it. And I think the other thing is people are worried about having that label. I think we're getting better at making that not a negative label anymore. It's not something to be afraid of getting diagnosed with. It's all on a spectrum too, right? I mean, there's women that have no issues, then there's the postpartum blues, which is like the mild form of postpartum depression. And I really think everyone falls somewhere on that spectrum. I don't think any postpartum woman can ever say, oh, I never, you know, found myself crying for no reason or, oh, I wasn't anxious about, am I doing everything perfectly. And so knowing that it's okay to fall somewhere and that some people need extra help and that it takes so much bravery and strength to say, I'm not doing okay. I need some extra help. So after people started saying, you know, do you have this thing? I was, I was really just like resistant to, to this label. And then I I think, I think I might have, that must have been like my five or six week checkup mm-hmm. that I had already had scheduled. And so um, I knew going into that appointment, because I never, I never did return that phone call. <laughs> and I think someone called two or three times. <laughs> um, I never did return the phone call. Um, so I think I already had this, this appointment set up. And so I knew by this time, this five, six week mark, that I needed to, to say something. Mm-hmm. And so I was super terrified because... 
I knew that walking into the office, you were going to give me that paper with the quiz. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew what the right answers were on the quiz. And so I was worried that if I knew the right answers on the quiz, then that really didn't meant that I didn't have postpartum because I could decipher the right answer versus the wrong answer. So I'm sitting there laboring over this quiz before you came into the room. And the second you came in, I just burst into tears. And you said, oh, honey, we're going to make you feel better. And so I didn't even have to take the stupid <laughs> quiz because you already knew. Yeah. Like, you could already tell. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I'm not expecting you to remember this interaction the way that I did. Um, but if you do, like, feel free to talk about it. But I just remember that's exactly what you said to me. You said, honey, we're going to make you feel better. Uh -huh. Like, oh. <sighs> and... And it didn't mean, oh, I was, you know, you have to do this or you have to do this, but just knowing that there are steps to get you feeling back yeah. the way you wanted to feel yeah. and knowing that it's okay to feel the way that you felt and that there were things that we could do to make it better. Yeah. And I mean, overall, it was really simple. I mean, you started me off on Zoloft, which is pretty standard mm -hmm. issue. Um, and so I drove home from that appointment that day and I was like, okay, so I do have the thing. I have this thing that I didn't want to call the thing. Uh -huh. And, um, and I called my friend and I was like, I'm going to take these stupid pills for like three months tops. Uh -huh. I'm like, I'm not going to be on an antidepressant for very long. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> um, and then slowly over time, I realized that that didn't matter at all. Mm -hmm like at all so it's like these it's like these series of mental hurdles I mean if you had told me my leg was broken I would have gotten a cast on right. my leg and then when I was done having my leg be broken and it was healed then I would have taken the cast off right yet for some reason it was like I'm not taking this medicine uh -huh. and I shouldn't have to take you know it just it still was like this thing that I had to accept in my head mm -hmm. So anyway, um, so over the course of a year, I can tell you now that I am not taking it anymore. That, I mean, it took me like the full year to wean yep. off of it. And um, you worked through that with me, which, by the way, I had no idea that weaning off of um, that type of drug that really was awful. Mm -hmm. I really did not That's enjoy it. why we do it so oh, slowly. Mm -hmm. I kept calling it my heroin because yeah. I literally <laughs> felt like I was coming down off of something. Like, it made me feel like I had a constant head rush. Uh-huh. Weird. And everyone tolerates it very differently. Some people, you know, all of a sudden, they notice no difference. But I tell everyone, you need to come off of this very slowly. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad now that like at this one year mark that I'm no longer taking it. I don't see it as like a great accomplishment. I other than I felt ready and like yeah. we worked through it, but mm -hmm. I don't it's not like I think like I'm better or something or like, you know, now I'm not a broken person or something because I'm taking this medicine. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk with you about is, and this is truly his story to tell, so I'm not really going to, but I feel confident after learning more about postpartum that my husband dealt with it a little bit as well. And it sounds like that's a thing that nobody talks about either. Right. And I think that we don't do a good job of thinking of how the spouses are dealing with this. I mean, I have a lot of patients who, you know, if their partner comes with them to their appointment, you can see it in them as well. And you can see the stress and the angst that they're feeling because they also 
don't feel like they know what to do yeah. or how to help. And I think that goes along somewhat with the breastfeeding thing as well. I mean, I remember my husband in the first few months of being like, I can't do anything. Like, what can I do to help you? And of course, you know, being a new mom, you're like, I don't know, do something, <laughs> <laughs> anything. I don't know. So, I mean, I think that they feel that stress as well. And yeah. it's the most stressful thing. I think a couple goes through a lot of times in terms of, you know, you're married, everything is fine, 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 especially if your pregnancy is uncomplicated. That's really easy. And then all of a sudden, the two of you are put in one of the most stressful situations. You're yeah. not sleeping. You're taking care of this little human that you have no idea what you're doing, even if you've gone to all the classes and done all of the things. And it can be really stressful for the two of you to go through something like that together. And then especially if they're seeing you struggling, then they're like, well, I can't show that I'm struggling or I can't really talk about my struggles totally. either. Th I mean, they would have they would have the right to say that would probably not be well received. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm sorry. They need to have a dad's group. So, okay, so the way you explained postpartum to me that it's like just the rush of hormones after having a baby. Mm -hmm. So, like, if men don't have that same rush of hormones, what is, what is causing them to f not feel right either? Right, and I think that that's one of the things that puts people at risk for postpartum. The other thing is things like not having a good social support. So if they, you know, if the wife feels isolated, then the husband all of a sudden feels isolated on their own too. People who are at risk are people who may have had depression, anxiety throughout their life that they just didn't know that they had, and then this stressful event in their life just makes it worse. Um, so I think that those are two of the okay. main things. And then the stress of providing for this other person as and well. And they probably didn't get any time off to right. do any they're, of this. They went back to work and then you're at home. And when they get home from work, you're like at your wit's end and they're trying to be helpful, but don't know how to help. And yeah. they're tired, you're tired. And hmm. What about this issue of, I'm reading more about not postpartum depression, but postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. How does that differ from postpartum depression? And is that sort of something new we're learning about? I think that a lot of times they go a little bit hand in hand. Um, and oftentimes the treatment for postpartum anxiety is similar to exactly what we okay. do for postpartum depression. So people just have different ways of kind of experiencing that stress. Okay. Um, and so there are some women who can't leave their house because they're so anxious about what could happen to my baby if I leave the house. I mean, all of these things, which can be just as debilitating, if not more than depression yeah. as well. But in some ways it just doesn't fall into those same categories. So unless you know that anxiety is a factor, right. you wouldn't recognize it in yourself. Right. And it's one of the questions on that questionnaire, that postpartum questionnaire that can kind of clue us into, oh, they're having a lot of issues with anxiety. But the hard thing with anxiety is insomnia. I'm not sleeping. Okay. Well, are you not sleeping because your baby is getting up every <laughs> one to two hours because they need to eat or change their diaper or things like that? Anxiety is, oh, I'm nervous about, you know, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Okay, well, what's normal and what, and again, it's all on a spectrum. So until it becomes, oh, it's affecting their abilities to do the things that they want to do or should mm -hmm. be able to do. But there are a lot of times where I think that therapy would be super helpful and people are sometimes hesitant to do therapy, um, but just even knowing different ways to cope with stressful situations 
that are good for both you and for you and your partner to learn together yeah. to help each other through those moments. Well, and you definitely recommended a therapist for me, which I also did not do until um, we were talking about possibly weaning down from the Zoloft. Mm -hmm. and, you, and I had asked you, how, how do I know if what I'm feeling is normal versus the symptoms coming back. back and you said hey that's where the whole therapy thing came in <laughs> and so that's when i called the therapist that you recommended and so that that more than anything just gave me the confidence that i understood where my emotions were again right you know mm -hmm. so looking back i'm not a model patient like i'm not great <laughs> you did the things just in your own time <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, I'm appearing very, very stubborn at the moment. Um, let's see what else I had here on my little list. Um, I had one more thing. What was it? Oh, um, so, yeah, we talked about this idea of, like, possibly having a third child. And I think, um, I think one thing that I have a hard time with is, like like wanting another try at it, like wanting another crack at it, not wanting to end on this note, even though Everett is perfectly healthy and adorable and sweet. Like I still feel like, like I don't want to end on that note. That is that a normal thing? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. And I tell people though, just like, you know, people are like, oh, I let's try for a girl. You know, it's like, well, just remember this, you could have potentially a similar experience the third time yeah. around. Now, the difference would be, you know what to look for in terms of like the postpartum depression thing, um, but breastfeeding, similar things. There's, we don't know, is it going to go like Abram? Is it yeah. going to be more like Everett? I mean. Yeah. Okay. True. It yeah. is the hard thing, right? But you can't, yeah. So you can't do something just to prove yourself yeah. that you can. <laughs> You could try. <laughs> That's not going to be too smart. I would love for you to get pregnant again. <laughs> um, I would really love to, too. Um, I want to see what the universe decides for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens because, you know, I can't be unsatisfied with the way life is right now because it's pretty great. Uh -huh. um, okay. So today you are not wearing your scrubs. Nope. You typically are, though, in the office. I'm curious, though, if you have, like, a power outfit. Like, what makes you feel your most powerful? Uh, honestly, I was an athlete in high school and college, so I guess I probably feel my most powerful wearing like workout clothes when yeah. I'm going to exercise. I like that. Probably, yeah. Okay, that mm -hmm. sounds good. <laughs> um, what is the last thing that you really did for yourself? You don't strike me as someone who has a ton of free time. Yeah. <laughs> well, today I actually um, went to our spa at the office and got a facial oh during my, gosh, my people half day. Revive. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's amazing. What's your, yeah, so you, do you get a massage? Like, what's your thing? So I love going to Revive and just, if I can get a facial once a month, I think that makes me feel yeah. just way better. Mm -hmm. I love a facial and I particularly love Revive and I'm not just saying that because you're here. <laughs> um, no, I love it so much and um, I just got interested in the hydrofacials oh, and those amazing. are a dream come true. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. check out Revive. You guys are building a brand new um, 
a brand new, like just an area for the med spa as opposed yep. to being in the office. Yep. So it'll be a building right next to our current building, which will be nice that it kind of has its own standalone um, building, but is literally right across the parking lot from where we're at. So construction is moving along there. So should be opening in the next, I think, few months. Hey, speaking of skincare, what's the deal with like retinol and like if you're trying to get pregnant, like is that a, that's a bad one, right? Uh-huh. So we don't like you taking that um, if you're trying to get pregnant. In fact, they really recommend. And you mean even like topically on the skin or not that's so much? That's a hard thing. Um, in terms of definitely not oral, um, we don't want you taking that. The skin products are hard, right? Because no one really signs up to be in a study of like, oh, let's <laughs> see if you 50 people who use it on your skin, if something bad happens to your baby. Yeah. We know that a lot of topical things, very little absorption, but I always tell people, you know, if it's some things we do have studies on and we can look those up and kind of evaluate that. But then I just tell people you have to do what's best for you. Same thing with like yeah. getting your hair dyed and pregnancy and things like that. What is your th thought on um, like drinking wine during pregnancy or drinking any alcohol for that matter? Cause I feel like there's a, a little insurgence of people who are like, it's fine. I think the hard thing is in Europe, it's like a totally acceptable thing. Yeah. ACOG does not recommend any alcohol use in pregnancy. So we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. Does it frustrate you, though, when, like, an author will write a book and decide a thing and then people come into your office and are like, um, I think I would like to do this and this because I read it in a book. And you're like, please, please don't. Well, I mean, I like the people. The Internet is a good thing in terms of people can investigate things for themselves. Now we always tell them use a credible, you know, credible sources sure. when you're looking at things like that. But I think it gives people a lot of power when they walk into the doctor's office that yes, I've taken the time to do this research. These are the questions that I have. Um, and as long as they're from, you know, a credible source, that's a reasonable thing to do. <laughs> Dr. Kaiser, what else should we talk about while I have you here? Are you watching any reality television programming? Um, my husband and I do get sucked into the Bachelor Bachelorette oh, series. God bless it. I'm so glad you're here. Did you watch last night? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> my husband says it's fire, though, so I can't wait to see it. Oh. Three hours is a long wait, time, Wait, so he though. watched it himself without you? Well, he does a lot of reality Steve investigations, <sighs> wow. but I don't listen to any of that, so okay. he has to keep it a secret from me but we love watching it's so embarrassing but yes we love in general what do you think of pilot pete i was very pro pilot pete i'm a little nervous though because every time these people that i like that were on the show before they become the bachelor or bachelorette and then i'm like not so sure about them okay. anymore okay so at, by the end you were not having it with hannah b she, yeah, it was a little much for me. <laughs> but then I liked her on Dancing with the Stars. I thought she did a really nice job yeah, there. Yeah, I really liked her, too. I yeah. was glad she won. Yeah. Um, Dr. Kaiser, thank you so much for um, being the expert here yeah. on um, babies and postpartum and for being so kind to me during a tough part of my life. So the group, um, you guys are always taking new patients, right? Uh -huh. um, and more importantly, more fun is to go over to Revive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the new med spa opens in the springtime. Yep. Otherwise, um, the smaller one is open right now. Yeah. Um, get the hydrofacial and tell them we sent you. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much that. for coming. Yes. I appreciate you very Thank much. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks so much to Dr. Kaiser for coming in and um, helping me through that conversation. So I hope um, some of you could relate or that you feel a little less alone after listening to that. Um, let's take a real quick hard turn and we're going to get to The Bachelor. Ready? It's a repeat of your guest. Get it? Pete, The Bachelor, and I'm a repeat guest for The Bachelor. Is that what you came in here prepared to say? Yeah, I've been working on that one all day. <laughs> <laughs> We've really got to get our technology up to snuff because we can't have this weekly. Repeat. Y'all get it. Y'all think it's funny. Here's the thing. So there comes a time in a young woman's life when she sits down to watch The Bachelor Pete, episode three. And then suddenly here's Demi on my screen again. Why? And then she brings some terrible idea like this awful pillow fight. Okay, I realize this is degrading television to begin with, but I just feel like that took it up a million notches, and that's when I went to go switch my laundry. Well, did you that's notice when that, that episode the, began to fall apart? The girl said lingerie, but she said it the wrong way. I like don't even like lingerie. I don't even know what she said, but nobody is addressing <laughs> it, and I don't know why we're all forgetting that this girl said lingerie incorrectly. Personally, I would have been very happy if I was the girl that got the moo moo. That girl was like up in arms. She's like, "I got a moo moo. Everybody else got lingerie. How's he gonna notice me? I love the moo moo." Well, yeah, absolutely. To not have to suck in for that half an hour of my life, right. absolutely. What's a gal to do? I have to breathe. But like, is well, there and, a flannel and, option? I mean, it's you know? well. Here's the thing: it's not like he doesn't know whether or not you have a nice figure. Which, P.S. It's The Bachelor. You do. I just think, and when the neighbor he was like, "Is this not what you guys sleep in?" And they're like, "No." Like, you can't be that dumb. Every girl sleeps in a t-shirt with a stain that has a suspicious hole in the armpit. And if you don't, you're lying. You are lying. You've actually um, talked about that several times with me when we were at Marshall's the other day. It came up again. And you were just wondering who purchases these items. Who purchases matching jammy sets except for Christmas time? Happy families at Christmas? Yes, I understand. Mm -hmm. But every single person has their favorite jammy t-shirt. That is different than t-shirts you wear in public. Mm -hmm. They are separate sets of t-shirts. Yes, 100%. And there's a random stain that you don't know what it is. Mine's usually like toothpaste or something ridiculous. Oh, yeah, sure. Toothpaste. Not like freaking melted butter from popcorn. It's both. It's (laughs) multiple. But, you know, I still keep this on everything. The dress I'm wearing right now has a toothpaste stain on it. No joke. That's why I wore the jacket. You can see it. (laughs) You see me wearing jackets because I have a stain. (laughs) So, anyway, the JAMA thing. Dumb. The girl complaining about the moo moo. Dumb. You got the best outfit. Quit your coin. Complaining. Hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't have been thrilled for the moo. I would have made it hilarious. I would I'm, have been I'm, so funny. With I'm it. gonna be so honest with you. When Demi came on the screen, I was furious and I left. I don't know why she is like the darling of the Bachelor right now. Because I feel like her whole setup on Paradise was a fraud. You know what I mean? The whole bringing of the girlfriend was a fraud. Uh huh. She just doesn't. She didn't cut it for me. So when she arrived and then it was like, we're having a pillow fight, I, I literally left the room. And, and I, I, I don't know. It just sometimes well, these early episodes really irritate me. Not, Why are you doing a recap on your podcast, Denise? I don't know. We're not talking about the real issue. What's the real issue? There is a girl on this season who has robbed me. I've been robbed. Yes, this was upsetting too. It's very upsetting. I see this very beautiful blonde that I like to pretend I am as well. Uh, go on a date to a boot store. First off, that is not time to mess around. You need to be very serious about the cowboy boots you pick out. Those will hurt if you do not get a proper pair of boots. You don't just pick the cutest boots, quoting my father. You pick the practical boots. Oh, okay. Well, there's okay. like cute dress cowgirl boots, and then there's I'm going to ride a horse cowgirl boots, and then there's like 
your messing around kickers. Your kicker so boots. you feel like they made a mockery of the boot shopping process? A little bit. I'm a little offended. I was never allowed to go in there and make a fool. It was a very serious, <laughs> serious shopping endeavor. Okay. And I'm just like confused why this California boy is obsessed with country. Like, where, what? It's just like, yeah. I felt like that was out of left field too. Right. I'm like, what? I, I guess like, okay, if that's your taste in music, you don't have to be from the south. But it just seems weird. Like, Do you think he really goes to that club? Like when he was like, oh, we always go here. Like maybe we'll go here together when we're on fiance. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Right. But okay, so they they make this mockery at the boot store, which is a very serious shopping matter. But it's fine. I guess it's a good time. Um, he teaches her how to dance. Okay, awesome. But he keeps saying, like, oh, me and my friends like to line dance. I would like him to tell me what specific... There are specific line dances. Like, what are you doing? Like, what line dance are you doing here? Because I've never seen it. And I'm not the queen or anything. I can't dance to save my life. But I can bust out a nice copperhead road. Like... (laughs) Well, I feel like a line dance is something everyone could do. And it's to a specific song. Right. There are specific, like, songs. Right. And it just seems like... I don't know what they were up to. I don't know. Um... So then they go to this date, and I love country music. I love country boys. I love country dancing. So I'm like, oh, this is what right a up. twinkle in your eye. Right, you I'm like, now. this is right up my alley. I'm dancing <laughs> in my bed, getting it, like doing the dance with them, except they were doing it wrong. Do but, when okay, but when you go to those clubs, do they teach you what to do, or are you no. just supposed to like follow the person in front of you? Well, usually most people kind of know, and you don't go out on the dance floor if you don't know it. You can if you. Can, but how like how did they both like figure out this dance? Because like they were like hopping to it real quick. Well, like. I'm imagining some things got left on the cutting room floor, Denise. Right, but I'm saying like so it would it would not have been normal for like there to be some sort of tutorial at the beginning. No, it's not a wedding. We're not going to teach everybody the cha cha slide really quick okay. before we play the song. Okay. No, not usually. At least I've never been to one where they okay. taught me how. If I don't know that line Look, dance, if you want to be the country boot expert, you're going to have to deal with some questioning. No, I, I'm happy I'm happy for the questioning. Please, submit your questions. Um, <laughs> I worked at a bar in college for two years where I had to wear cowgirl boots okay. every single day. Like, that was my shoe. I didn't get no non-slip kitchen shoes, cowgirl boots, and I busted my butt many a time. Okay, okay. They don't have any, like, traction on the bottom. You just oh, really I didn't know that. It. Yeah. Um, so I love cowgirl And why boots. are they like that? Why are they? Yeah. Okay, Denise, get out of here. I don't know. Well, I don't know why there's no traction on them. Why wouldn't there? I mean, if you're like in the mud, like with a cow. But if you're in the mud, it's sticky. You don't need traction on the bottom of your I shoe. I don't know. It's it's slick floor. They're not meant for slick floors, but for some reason, this bar really wanted us all to wear cowgirl boots. Okay. So I lived in cowgirl boots every day. They live a special place in my heart. I had to throw them away because they were really gross from the restaurant I worked at. You know, you work at a bar, they get gross. Fries and whatnot? Right, correct. Man, I used to keep my money in my boot. So at the end of the night, yeah, at the end of the night, I would just dump my boot over and all my cash would fall out. It was great, but it all smelled. Why do I feel like you, like, might have worked at Coyote Ugly or something? Uh, I would love to work at Coyote Ugly, quite (laughs) frankly. A little Tyra Banks action. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's some classic Tyra Banks. I would, that was not, let me just clarify, that was not the kind of bar I was working at. It was not like a wild shooting, like water at people. Don't they do that in the movies? Yeah. Do what do we do when people order water in our bar? Hell no, H two O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they like spray it everywhere. Yeah, that and then did she not sprays happen. the fire marshal. Yes, I was not jumping on top of. A bar. I don't think so, Piper Parabo. <laughs> no, I was not. Yeah, go back. To, didn't she? Wasn't she in Cheaper by the Dozen? Oh, I she don't was know. the oldest sister in Cheap Brother Does. Oh, That's okay. I, know her. I didn't get to watch Coyote Ugly until I was older. Okay. But I just I know not... that she left John Goodman back at home when he really needed her. He did. He needed her. I was not dancing on top of the bar in these cowgirl boots. I was just serving food like your okay. average Joe. Waiting for the promotion to the top of the bar. 
I wish that one day came. that they would have just done it. But we did have live music, so I would walk around singing in my little cowgirl boots and denim skirt. I made a lot of money. Okay. Uh, so that is the first way that Vicky P has stolen your life. So and she's, then. she's stolen my life in making her dream date something that I just did like every Friday night. Yeah. But okay. Uh, and then she starts talking to him about her life, her date. Her She mentions about how when she was younger, her father passed away. That also happened to me. I was seven years old when my dad passed away. And then she mentions about how her mother fell into addiction and she had to like kind of take care of her sister. And it's very similar to something that happened to me, except I was the younger sister. So my sister kind of took care of me. But, and I just am sitting there with an open mouth. Not only did this girl, Vicky OP, <laughs> steal my dates and just like my life and my existence. Uh, I wish my body, but you know, just my looks. <laughs> <laughs> a girl can dream. But she also stole my childhood story, my claim to fame, my sad, sad, sob story as a kid that I like to bust out whenever I can. How often do you bust it out on a first date? Absolutely never. <laughs> never. I come from a very nice family. Oh, cringe. It's no, so, so cringe. cringe when they tell. And I and they do it all the time on the show where they just like really are like, I'm having a nice time with you and we're connecting and that's why I feel like I can open up to you. It's awful. Well, do you hear him whining about his fame? I guess she, whining is not fair if she felt that that was the appropriate time. But I will hide my my dead father and my bad childhood. Well, everybody has baggage. You know what I mean? Some worse like, than others. I think some, I'll be like, walking down the aisle. Others. I literally think I'll be walking down the aisle and mention, like, oh, my dad died, so that's not who's walking me. But <laughs> you're so cool to marry me, right? Like, it will take me. Like, it's just, like, literally... Yeah. Like, some, my sister will be walking me down the aisle, and he's going to be like, what? <laughs> I think that would be the hardest part. One of the hardest parts of being the bachelor or the bachelorette is having to sit there and, like, listen to the things that people have been coerced to say at inappropriate times. I think I would have – it would be having to remember. I'd be like, oh, my God, yes. Okay, you're the one that had yes. this happen. And, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the dead dog with one leg. Got it. You forgot. <laughs> like, there's no way he's remembering How are you all- doing about that? Yeah. Good? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're good. Okay, okay, we don't miss Sparky today? Okay, okay, got it. Like, I just, there would be no way for me to keep up with everyone's, like, characteristics and their life and, like, who they are. Like, I, I can't. Especially when their moment with you of telling you that stuff was, like, such a big deal to them. Yeah, I just, um, I feel like it would take me a while to personally to open up. So Vicky P stole my life. Yep. I feel robbed. I feel blinded. Now, when I go on The Bachelor, what am I going to say? I'm going to look like I stole from Vicky P and... So somebody timestamp this date. Here I am claiming it now. So overall, after watching that date, I felt like I felt like they had a nice time, but I didn't think their connection was off the charts. Oh, I think she lasts a while, but I don't think they're like love bugs forever. I don't think she's gonna win. I think she'll go a while because he he brings her back later in the episode. He you can tell he trusts her because he asks her about this gossip and drama. With Aaliyah, 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 Aaliyah. That's how you say it. Aaliyah. I know a girl named Aaliyah, and it's spelled, like, the same way. So okay. So I can't. I can't. Okay. And I'm like, what? I understand. Aaliyah. So he brings her back to say, hey, can I, what do you know about this? So he clearly trusts her opinion. So I, I do think he enjoyed her, had a nice date, had a nice time. But, like, we He's, also said that about McKenna. Like, oh, yeah, that was a nice date. She'll last. And that girl almost got on the, she was almost cut. 
Yeah, and I but I almost think that she was almost cut because she was the one being very dramatic about the time and this is critical for me. I feel like she was playing into the hands of let's give her the rose one of the last people mm-hmm. because she's going to freak out about it. You know, I you could like, see that coming a mile away. I feel like right she's now like, it's I'm just, just not like, getting the time. Hang out in the middle of the pack while you can right now. Totally. Like now all you want to do is take a couple international trips, so just hang on, be a delight. Yeah. <laughs> Be a joyous time. Don't be gossiping. Don't which hang out by the pool. Hard for me. I would have the hardest time. I would love to form alliances, except I would always pick like the wrong group to be part of. Me too. I would be the part of the group that America liked, but the man didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, oh, come on, pick her. She's hilarious. Um. So I found overall Pete to be so annoying. You the are, fact that he was just so deep into this gossip see, train. You're a lot more annoyed by it than I am. I just found it ridiculous because you're supposed to, the dude is supposed to be above the gossip. I feel like the dude is supposed to be annoyed by the gossip, but instead he is like knee deep in it. Like if he could gossip back, I think he would. Yeah, I would love it, honestly. I would love to. But you I know what I mean? He could just genuinely tell us like what's up. Um,. I don't know. Do they not usually do that? Like, is that seriously just like a polar concept that the guy doesn't like chatsy it up with them? Well, a lot of times if a girl comes to him and gossips or he gets word of of these like conflicts in the house, he'll sort of he'll take it. He'll take it as a as a reason to get rid of someone he didn't like. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking back to um Ben Higgins season and there was one girl who was claim who was complaining about Lauren Bushnell who he ended up choosing. Oh, I love her. And so I feel like he automatically got rid of the girl who was complaining about Lauren Bushnell cuz he's like ah, whatever like mm. And I like Lauren anyway. Yeah. So it just did not behoove her to be yammering about not liking Lauren Bushnell because he was like, look, I'm a lock on Lauren, so... There's nothing you can say that's going to Right. Whereas he does seem like he's a tad bit impressionable. And why is that? I, do you, I genuinely think it's because of what he saw happen to Hannah Brown. Oh, that's all producers, too. That's a bunch of nonsense. You think? I think... They have to give him a, a reason to legitimately care about this nonsense. So he's peddling this line of, like, I need to figure this out. No, I don't think... I don't necessarily need him to figure it all out. But I do think he hears the word, like, someone's not here for you. Someone doesn't care about you. I think if it was with a girl that he didn't have any feelings for, that he didn't have a connection with, he would have just sent that girl home. Okay. But I think it's because he liked Alea, and then he hears that Alea's fake. He's like, oh, man, like, not her. I kind of liked that one. But so why? I think but that's why, why is he, he was invested. Why is he remotely worried about it in episode three? I mean, in, in terms of real recording time, it looks like it's been three weeks. In reality, it's been like four days. Right. So I'm trying to understand why this is all unfolding with such intensity after three days. It well, just, it just seems so he dumb. He definitely has other girls that he vibes with. He's right. not going to lose somebody that like... And she didn't go on a one-on-one with him. It's not like no. she went to the to the, to the the parents' wedding and he's like, oh man, I printed out this picture for you. And she now wasn't like... copperhead rooting it all up, <laughs> let me tell you. Right. See? She wasn't. We're going to call Vicky P. Uh, LJ. That's what I just don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. I I guess, I mean, it is is a little bit of a weird concept, but I genuinely just kind of think either the producers are like, this is a snooze and we have nothing for this episode, so Mm -hmm. we need you to You need to get in there, mix it up, ask some questions. That's exactly what I think was happening. Or he genuinely, what if he's just a gossip? Some guys love the gossip. What if he is just the gossip? I, quite frankly, love the gossip. And I don't think that would change if I was a man. 
So what I'm looking for in his little behaviors is what are we learning about him right now that may have factored into Hannah's decision to get rid of him in the first place? Ooh. So what if they had great chemistry and they obviously like had nice times in a windmill? What if he just seemed really indecisive? And what if he just came off as very um, flighty and flighty like, may, like, but yeah, maybe she didn't feel like a great amount of confidence coming from him. I you know? think, I think Hannah liked, I don't think Hannah had any complaints about Peter. Right. But I think she felt more with other guys, with the other two guys, maybe okay. because they were more go-getter. They were more in your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah! Oh my. I apologize. <laughs> Bless me. But where, like, Peter, you know, maybe he's just there. I called him a plain vanilla toast. He is mm -hmm. a plain white wall to me. He's a snooze magoose. And I, I, seriously, what happened in this episode besides, like, nothing? Like, I was bored. Like, we I was got super bored. nowhere. Can I um, say something weird right now? So I have judged a couple of pageants in my day, you know, because I'm I'm asked to do that every now and then. Right. Yeah, Dog you just pageants? snot it all over the microphone. Well, I sneeze. <laughs> Clearly, I'm feeling under the weather. <laughs> so here's the thing, okay? I feel like in the pageant world, character and, um, you know, presenting yourself well is always, like, a big part of the consideration of who gets picked to be, like, the Miss Louisiana or whatever. So I just want to know how these pageant systems feel about these girls now going on The Bachelor and causing legitimate, like, pageant drama on the show. You know what I mean? I feel like that is like not a good look. Like pageant world in a bad exactly. light. Exactly. Like, I, I feel like it's not a good look and that eventually pageants are going to not allow you to go on The Bachelor within, like, five years of being a title holder. Prediction. I don't think they can do that. Once Prediction. you're done being a title holder, you're done. Like, yeah, they but they can't... have to sign, like, major contracts. Like, yeah. you can't even, like, gain a couple of pounds. You know? Oh, so I feel like they're going to be like, all right, no reality TV for you. Yeah. Prediction. Or, but prediction, <laughs> there, is a, there is a pageant girl on every season. There are, like, it... it it's like pageant girls are bachelors. Like but for the past girls are two seasons, pageant it's girls been... Are beautiful. Pageant girls are great. Like, yeah, there's a bad apple, but people already think negatively about pageants. If you if you have bad thoughts about pageants, you have bad thoughts about pageants, and no one's going to change your mind about right. that. You right. You know, like, you just, you're not a pageant person. If you are, you are. Were you in pageants? No, I wasn't, but I'm flattered okay. that you think that it was. <laughs> so kind. Well, I, I mean, that whole Southern living thing. I think I would have been a Like, I think person. you could have stood up there and been like, I'm Lauren Jackson. I'm your Miss Southwest Texas. Right? I, Southwest was not where I'm from, but I'll take it. Well, yeah, but you would have had to travel to qualify in other pageants because you couldn't win your hometown. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> I know. Um, See, there's a tiny little pageant with only three contestants. Yes. We think yeah. we can win this It's one. in the corner of Texas, um, bordering <laughs> Mexico. You need to get over there. And I would have hopped my little butt right on the way. Exactly. Um, it's like, I miss Heartland, Texas. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. I've never heard of it. It's very elite. Um, no, I was not. I can't even. No, but I was not. I can't even. Um, I was not a pageant person, but I think I would have done decent. See, I wasn't a pageant person either, but I always like to watch them because I'm when I would watch them. them with my dad, he always picked the winners, always, constantly. And I was always picking the ones that like were a little bit of the underdog, you know what I mean? Because, like, if I were in a pageant, I would be, like, the one who, like, maybe didn't have, like, the more expensive dress and was kind of, like, a little bit sad with the haircut. And, <laughs> no you way. know what I mean? Um, I wanted the best of the best. I do remember <laughs> uh, I was, like, that girl is top dog. 
I do remember was watching Miss America with my dad one time. Um, and when I'm referring to my dad, I, I know I just told everyone that my dad had passed away when I was seven. I have a stepdad. He's awesome. I call him my dad. So me and my stepdad, dad, are watching this pageant and quietly. We're just watching, whatever. And he's like, you know what, Lauren? Like, you could have been on pageants, but you don't have any talent. Because, <gasps> you know, in certain pageants, you right. have to perform a talent. And he's like, oh, if only you had a talent. See, that's why I like that these days you can now, like, do a science experiment. You know what I would do? Yeah. I think I would, like, whip up a latte. <laughs> that, I thought you were gonna like bust out a volcano. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's what the girl who won the, the the Miss America this year like she made like a baking soda and vinegar volcano, and everyone's like, oh. but then <laughs> okay. she won. Um, I couldn't even fathom what my talent would be. Uh, I, I would tell jokes. That was that's what I want my talent to be. So. Honestly, that would be what it would have to be clean. They would I feel like you would struggle. Yes, I would, I would struggle very hard. I struggle on the podcast. This is I, I'm refraining a lot, you guys. Yeah, I don't. I, know yeah, what. I would like do like you know what I would do. I would like blend up a latte and then I would make some of that like foam art. You know what I mean? I would work real hard on like on making a heart. In I would foam. maybe do like poetry because are you going to tell me that my poetry isn't art or isn't a talent? No, can't do that. Why? Really, you can't. No, you can't tell someone that their poetry oh, yeah. isn't good. You can't tell me that my no. poetry isn't my vision. No, you can't. And you can't tell me that it's not talented. It's all subjective. Exactly. I would, yeah, I don't know. I, voices, Hark. I would work Hark on my. from the yonder stage. <laughs> yeah, I would work Tis on. I, Miss I would Heartland work on Mall, my, my, America. Um, no, yeah, Miss Heartland, <laughs> corner of Texas. Mike, I think that my, um, my talent would probably be like, I'd work on my like impressions or something. Or like my, oh, that's a good one. my voices, like from different countries and stuff. Because I don't you just wish you could bust out an accent at any point in time. You know what I love? I love when people who have a British accent speak with an American one. Love it. Because it's like, wow, we sound ridiculous. The most mind blown I've ever been is when I'm watching a show and they're, they are American. I'm like, I love this actress. And I look her up and I find out she really has a I British know. accent. And you I know. just are mind blown. I think that's like such a gift. So that could be a cool a talent. talent that I could have had is learning okay. how to do either impressions or... Um, dialects and accents. None of these things I can do. I can, I... I yeah, but then you would get in trouble for, like, like racial appropriation or something. Oh. Yeah, that's true. You know what See, I mean? See, that's what so my I think talent coach to, would yeah. tell me about, though. Right. <laughs> they would warn me that that was a bad idea. I yeah. wouldn't mean it in any, yeah, like, harm. I just, I have no talent. So yeah. I would just need a talent, an achievable... If you have an achievable talent idea for me, please let me know. What if you did, like, a faux live shot and you just, like, pretended there was a raging fire behind you and you were like, here I am... Oh, you can yeah. smell the smoke in the air. Oh, I need the mask on because I can hardly breathe. I do that when I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I'm drunk, I'm like, I just like bust out some. Well, every time I'm drunk and I'm around like my family or anybody that isn't in the TV business, they're like, do your reporter voice. Oh, I hate that. Yes, people people make me do that. But too. I don't think I have one. If I do, it's genuinely like just a natural, the camera's in front of me. I need to be a little more professional. Yeah. Than just me chatting it up. Yeah, but I think I sound the same. You know what? When whenever anybody asks me to do my reporter voice, which they don't really anymore because I'm old news. Um, but they would always be like, "Do your sign off," you know, where you're like, "Oh yeah." In Hutchinson, Denise Hanetka, KWCH twelve, Eyewitness News. Oh, was you that know? yours? Uh huh. But that's when people were like, "Wow!" You know? Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't even know what mine is right now, and I literally just did one like ten minutes ago. In Moline, Lauren Jackson, WQAD News eight. Is that your impression of me? No. Do me. In Moline, Lauren Jackson, WQAD News 8. You just changed your voice. That had nothing to do with me. No, because you do, you take those pauses in those places. In we got to cut all this I do. out. I, this is a snooze. Why? I think it's funny. <laughs> in Moline, Lauren Jackson, WQAD News 8. Yeah, oh, okay. Okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. Told you. Okay. Yeah. Neener. Neeners.
Um, back to the batch. Back to the batch. So basically, overall, I found this episode really irritating. And I found, overall, I think Peter needs to get himself a backbone. Now, here's the hot take that I teased on my Instagram story, okay? My hot take is this. I always get suspicious when we hear somebody saying something, but we don't see those words coming out of their mouth, okay? So at the end of the episode, you hear Peter saying, I shouldn't have let her go, I shouldn't have let her go, but it's over the faces of the girls. So, like, I kept waiting for the shot of him saying that, but they were just showing either his face blank or the other girl's faces blank. Why don't they show us him actually saying it because it's one of those red herring birds yes uh-huh. it's exactly it's a red fish, heron the red heron fish the herring fish he's obviously talking about a girl who like falls on the runway or something he's like oh i shouldn't have let her i it's knew she had like a that. wacky heel or <laughs> is it left over from the hannah b exit Ooh, well that wasn't really an exit that has to come up again because it it was just like yeah. okay thanks for the sparkles so go. is it left over Something's, something's. I think if it was Hannah B, that. they would have given us more like teams to so? Hannah B. Yeah, because they're going to get more viewers if it has anything to do with Hannah B. Did you believe that that Aaliyah, Aaliyah was telling the truth, or do you believe all the other girls who say she's phony and plays it up for the camera and then um, asked me to lie about? Ask me, Lauren. You remember LJ? Oh yeah, Nikki I P, believe that. I that believe that. Said, do you believe her excuse saying like, I just wanted to make sure we both yes, made it? I on believe the show. that excuse. Yes. I totally do. Um, and the reason is, it's because I read Charlene Joint's um, uh, recaps, mm-hmm. and she specifically says that they take great care to make sure nobody sees each other before you actually meet in the house. So she says that that would be completely normal of a fear of you don't want to let anyone know you have associations with people. Well, and Vicky P does say... That we weren't friends. We right. knew each other at a pageant because she's Miss Louisiana. Side note, if she's Miss Louisiana, she should have already known about cowgirl boots and how to line dance. Okay, okay. She's not from – she's from the south. Louisiana is the south. Right. She wasn't like Miss Chicago Northwest Suburbs. No, she's not Miss Palatine. That would have been my title. Miss Chicago Northwest Suburbs. I don't know. I'm just – Palatine, something. is that where you're from? Miss Woodfield Mall. <laughs> not the car ran into that. <laughs> Miss, Miss Randhurst Coles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any hoot. Um – so she says, like, yes, like, we barely knew each other. Like, we just had run in the same world. So I could imagine if I knew another girl was a reporter in a market similar to mine and we had a couple times, like, bumped into each other, I'd be like, hey, homegirl, we don't know each other. Yeah, just, Got it? yeah, just. She, it's not like yeah. they were friends. And the girl, and Vicky herself had said that. So I believe that excuse, too. I do, too. Um, and, like, it's it's just like a little mythio information, and I don't think it makes her a not credible person, in my opinion. What do you think about all of the fourth wall breakage in this episode? Because they talk about this issue of who are you on camera and when the cameras are around. I feel like we we're hearing that more for the first time in this episode. I think that everybody changes who they are when they are on camera. I just totally. said a minute ago that I'm refraining from things because I'm on a podcast. It's yeah. just your natural being. Like, somebody is hearing you. Yeah. Somebody is watching you. You're going to you. sit up a little straighter. You're going to suck in that gut a tiny bit. I promise you, if I was on The Bachelor, you would 100% not see my 100% genuine true self because I would not want to embarrass myself in front of America. Well, and you don't know these people, so you are also... Playing it cool in front of some people. I don't even know this guy, really. Right. Like, who goes on a first date and isn't 100% their self? Everybody is nervous. Leo, you know, like, doesn't mention mm-hmm. that, like, 
I don't even know they, they what they were listening to actually in the car. You know, someone asks oh, yeah. you, what were you just listening to? And you're like, <laughs> I can't even think of something. <laughs> Top hits. Just something like that nobody would be embarrassed about. But really, I was listening to like Bad Bad Leroy Brown or something like so horribly embarrassing. I love a good share moment. I was looking at, I had a guy ask me the other day. He's like, oh, what do you listen to? And I was like, <gasps> Harry Styles, when really I listen to like share. So it's pretty embarrassing. Well, Harry Styles is somewhat embarrassing also. Except Why? I do like Harry Styles. He's a top hit. And he, like I was just saying top hits. Like I listen yeah. to, you know, oh, what everybody's listening to nowadays when really I'm listening to things from the 70s because. Next time, tell him you're listening to On a Mother Level and to share it with a friend. Well, I was on it. Why do I need to listen to it? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm it. Right. I am the podcast. Duh. All right. Pipe down. Okay. <laughs> you guys aren't ever going to hear Deflate. from me again. I just lost it. <laughs> God. All right. So this wasn't my favorite episode. I want to be clear about that. Um, so do you think that she should have gone home? Do you think yeah. he should, you, you think he should have sent her home? Yes, absolutely. I think any drama evolving a girl this early, just go. Just it's be done. It's not worth it. Just be done. That's why you got to fly under the radar and just try to get liked to be the next Bachelorette. Yeah. That's what you got to do. That's got to be your goal. Because at the end of the day, even if you end up with Peter and you end up engaged to Peter, and I'm putting little quotes around engaged because, like, you don't really know that guy, uh, you're not going to last. Come no, on. You're not. You're not going to last. But Sorry. you will get a really great next boyfriend. The guy who's the bachelor is like, um, he's a good luck charm. Like, you're not going to ma- last with him, but you probably will fall in love with the next guy you date. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Look at all these girls who are, like, in love with the next guy they date or married to the next guy they date. But maybe. Like which one? Like Lauren Bushnell dated Ben. It didn't work out. They got, and they lasted for a while. They were yeah. together. Okay, well she now dated she's dated a couple in between. I don't think so. Now she's married oh, yes, to she did. Chris Lane. She started a business with one, a wine business. Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. well maybe it's but not. She was on a podcast, that's why I said it. Maybe it's not right away, but pretty quickly down the line, you're going to fall in love with the guy of your dreams. Um, Caitlin Bristow was with Sean Booth for a very long mm, time. Yes, that's a good point. And now she's with Jason. That's his name, right, Jason? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I know. So you're saying the bachelor is like your starter boyfriend. Yeah, Emily Menard, Maynard, Maynard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, she was with her guys, whatever. She was the bachelorette. Same big money at Menard's. Menard's. Whatever, y'all know who I'm talking about. Emily Menard. She had the daughter named Ricky. Rick, Rich, Richie, Ricky. Oh, yeah, yeah, after the husband. Who had passed away. Uh, and now she's like married, got like a bunch of kids popping out. Like she's having a grand yeah, old she life. Does. She has so a great time. many bachelorettes or bachelor contestants seem to like all come around and find Everybody their flourishes. guy. Yeah, everybody seems to be doing real well. Okay. Do you have any um, predictions on who's going to win this thing based on this episode? I did notice. Um, I did feel like this episode was all the like kind of girls that we don't super care about. Like it didn't seem like it was a lot of the girls he was super interested in. We barely saw Hannah Ann. We barely saw Madison. Mm-hmm. We barely saw these girls that we know he really likes. Kelly, the girl he kind of knew beforehand. We right, barely right, right. saw these girls. I feel like these were kind of the reject girls, um, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Yeah. But um, we, I did notice that we frequently saw Hannah Ann in the shot. She was there. We never heard from her. I don't think she had one single like interview okay. airtime. Okay. And I don't. I never saw her talking to Peter. Yeah, not after the champagne Kate was resolved. Yeah, but Kelsey got her rose first, and then we did see Hannah Ann like make a little side eye like. Okay. Hannah Ann got it right next. I don't even next. really like champagne anyway. Yeah. Okay, Kelsey. Quote of the night. Guys. Well, first off, I love champagne, so you're wrong, Kelsey. Know, it's great. Right. It's a drink of choice. Um, but I did notice that Hannah Ann was, like, sitting in a lot of scenes. Like, she's there. She's very present. So I think it's either going to be Hannah Ann or Madison. Okay. 
Is it Madison? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. She went on the date with the parents. Yeah. Maddie, the yeah. Instagram faker. See, but she's so cute. Ugh. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. That's The Bachelor episode three. Say thank you so much for listening to On a Mother Level. Thank you to Lauren Jackson ah! for being my recapper. A repeat guest. Get it? Repeat. It wasn't funny the first time, girl. I find it to be hilarious. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.